Welcome to the Zen Habits Podcast, where we dive into how to work with uncertainty, resistance, and fear around our meaningful work. This is for anyone who wants to create an impact in the world and cares deeply enough to do the work. I'm your host, Leo Babauta, creator of the Zen Habits blog. So my guest on this episode is a friend, Derek Sievers. Uh, he is someone who I have followed online. I've, we've interacted over the years, um, and he's inspired me for for so long. Um, Derek Sievers, how do I put him in a <laughs> nutshell? He's a, an entrepreneur. He's a musician. In the '90s, I think late '90s, he started a company called CD Baby, which was really uh, for musicians um, and and helping their business, and then another related business called Host Baby, uh, and then sold both of those in 2008. Um, Moved to, where did he move? Like Singapore and then uh, New Zealand. Um, And so he's lived a fascinating life. Um, I think he's done so many interesting things throughout his life. And uh, he's also someone who writes really incredible blog posts and book notes and so he'll go through a book and then take notes as he reads the book and then put all the notes on there. And I remember when my first book came out, um, called The Power of Less, he wrote a book note. Uh, he published a book note on that. And I went and read it and I was like, eh, he gave it like basically a middling review. <laughs> so Derek uh, is very honest with it. And, and actually, I really respect his, um, his book reviews. He's also written a number of books, including one he released in 2021 called How to Live. And I actually think it's a really uh, great book. He said, it's my masterpiece, my masterpiece, the best thing I've ever made, my soul in a book, um, and a bunch of other really good things as well. Um, and now he's writing a book that he's published a number of posts, uh, chapters on that called Useful, Not True. And I actually think it's a really great book of things that we don't have to, you know, take as absolute truth, but they're still useful in some way. And so I, he's he's writing it right now. He's been releasing some of the stuff, and you can get on his email list to be the first to get updates on that. So useful, not true. Derek Sievers, really authentic guy who I really love. Let's have him on. All right. Well, welcome, Derek. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm so excited and honored to have you. Uh, but I just wanted to say thank you for coming. Thanks, Leo. And hey, audience, uh, in case he didn't say it in the intro, Leo and I have been communicating and aware of each other for 15 years. <laughs> this is basically our first time actually speaking live for real. So um, yeah, well, I think we're exciting. both exciting, excited to finally talk. Yeah, you're someone whose work I've resonated with for so long. Um, I even started my now page based on something that you created, which uh, was really cool. But I found a lot of inspiration, including your like short URLs on your uh, website. Nice. Uh, so um, I've been reading your stuff forever, and I'm actually a little bit of a little bit of fan fanness coming up in me, just like oh, excited to be talking with Derek Sievers. <laughs> well, <laughs> sa- same here. I'm not trying to try to one up you, but dude, I'm living in New Zealand partially because of you. Because really. Yeah, because I held you up as a role model that was becoming a successful writer from Guam. 
Yeah. And when I was sitting there thinking I needed to be in the middle of things, I need to be where the in the media centers where everything's happening. Then I thought, <laughs> you know, if Leo can do it from Guam, well then damn it, I can do it from New Zealand. <laughs> and so it's like you were an inspiration so cool. for me moving to New Zealand. I really like it wasn't like you were just, you know, one of a hundred reasons. It was like it was three Short reasons list. to move to New Zealand. Oh, wow. And and like, you know, number two of three was like, if Leo can do it from Guam. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. amazing. Actually, I had, I had no idea that was the case. Uh, that makes me even more excited to talk to you. So really cool. Um, I haven't ever actually been to New Zealand. I'd love to go uh, yeah. one day. It's, it's um, no different than California. <laughs> one thing I've... Uh, you know, one thing that I've noticed about you is, you know, look at your bio. It's this long list of all these like really interesting, fascinating things that you've done in your life, explored. You've launched businesses, sold businesses. Um, now, and you're now passionate about just creating like anything really. Um, and you are constantly putting out more stuff, not for, you know, monetization or like, you know, a place of profit, but just because you like to create and and serve and do interesting things. And so I can actually start anywhere. I have so many things that I could talk to you about. I'm like, oh, I want to talk to him about that and that and that. I was looking at all your books. Some of them I've missed over the years. So I have, we could start anywhere, but um, I'd love to zoom in on resistance, uncertainty, and fear around meaningful work, which you know, as as you know, is the theme of this season. Yeah. Um, Does that sound good to start with? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and we'll see where this leads us. We might actually go to talking about nomadism and <laughs> all kinds of other fun things. So yeah, so one of the things that I'm fascinated about you um, is is that you create, like you're constantly in creation mode. And you seem, at least the persona that I've picked up on is that you're very focused, you single task, and you really pour yourself into something. You're like devoted to the creation that you're doing, which is an inspiring thing. And if uh, you know, if, my, if I'm wrong on this, please feel free to check my feet. But that's something that I've been really inspired by. So I'd love to dive into that. But just before I saw your kind of eyes go up, thinking, uh, "Am I getting that wrong? Um, does that?" No, that's that's very right. I was just thinking of what aspects of this might be useful for your listeners, and mm. uh, I'll name two things up front. Is that um. The monotasking, single tasking mm-hmm. is partially my nature, but I think it's mostly learned the hard way. I think a mm-hmm. lot of us, most of us, have too many things we want to do mm-hmm. and we feel torn. Or either we can dissipate our energy, we, we uh, distribute it too widely and nothing gets done, or we just sit there in a state of paralysis. Um, Mm. so that's one thing I want to address. So that's the, that's the donkey and the magnifying glass. I'll get to that in a Mm. second. And, uh, I'm just saying them out loud so I can remember these. And then the other one is, um, more of the soul searching of noticing what excites you and what drains you. And that's Mm. why I keep making things instead of say, supervising other people who are making things is because I've just noticed Mm. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll talk about this one first. We'll get back to the donkey and the magnifying glass. Okay, great. So I think it's the ultimate compass that we should use to guide our actions is the choice between what excites you and what drains you. 
So what's giving you energy versus what is sucking your energy away? And what's interesting about fear is that fear is energy. Like fear and excitement are uh, two sides of the same coin, is the saying, right? Um, That fear of something means that that thing is exciting you. Fear is energy, which is the opposite of boredom. So what Mm. you want to steer away from at all costs is boredom. If something is boring you and just draining you or just making you feel like going to sleep (laughs) and just (laughs) like you really notice, like you literally get sleepy when you do this thing, then that's something you should be avoiding. Hmm. But if something is scaring you and and hopefully... Uh, at some point in this season, you'll talk about the war of art and the resistance. Mm. Are you going to address that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So Stephen Pressfield's work. Yeah. Yes, it's Stephen Pressfield's beautiful metaphor, personifying the resistance, almost like the mm. devil, you know, with a yeah. capital D. Um, like the resistance is a person, is a devil, is a demon that <laughs> um, that tries to convince you that what you should be doing is watching TV instead of writing your book. Um, that it's, it's, it's there to tempt you like, no, 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 come over here. <laughs> so as long as you can uh, identify the resistance as fear and then be thankful that you're feeling fear around this thing, then uh, one of my life mottos is whatever scares you, go do it. If you're Mm. feeling fear about something, that is what you should be doing, partially because this is something that excites you so much that it's uh, energizing you. Even though you're feeling it as fear first, it will be the the flip side of that coin afterwards. But also as a life path, if you keep steering towards whatever scares you, then over and over and over again, you'll no longer be scared of these things. Like so often we're scared of something because it's the first time. And yeah. once you do it, you go, oh, I could do that. And then, yeah, another <laughs> notch in your belt, another thing that you know that you can do now. That brings up a, f- a couple of questions for me. Uh, I don't yeah. know if this is the right time to interject. Yes, let's um, do it. Because you're, you're on a, a great train of thought, and I'd love to come back to the... Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the magnifying glass and the donkey. I won't forget. We have to come back to that. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, that's a great like hook, curiosity hook. It's going <laughs> to... Uh, I definitely need to have that resolved. Um, so, uh, so one is, I love that you talked about fear being energy and that it can actually energize you. But the, the question that I have, I have a couple of questions. The first one is, for some people, um, they get so caught up in anxiety around that fear, the thing they're afraid of, that it can tighten their body up and feel draining. And so I'm wondering, is there a way to work with that so that the, the thing you're afraid of doesn't have to be draining? You know what I mean? Mm. I think it's easier if you think of it in a less ambiguous way Mm. and imagine yourself, say, about to bungee jump or Mm. skydive or whatever, fill in something that is more of an obvious example of fear where whether you've done it or if you can just imagine doing it, you know that it's safe. You you sat, sat at the bottom and you watched 20 people bungee jump. This place has been doing it for 20 years. They're safe. You know that you're going to be fine. Mm. Now you're standing on the edge of that ledge with a harness around you. 
looking down at the ground below and everything in your body is saying, no, you idiot. Don't don't, do it. (laughs) Don't do it. What are you, stupid? And you have to override your instincts and just tell yourself like, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. And you just say like, all right, everything about this feels wrong, but here I go. I'm going to do it anyway. Believe it or not, that's the kind of self-talk I do even when I'm just sitting down to write or take on a project I know I should do. Yeah. And I'm scared to do it. And that voice called the resistance is telling me to do anything but do this. You know, ah, maybe, maybe you should eat first. <laughs> uh, maybe you should go on a walk. Hey, go call a friend. Go watch something. Look at this funny video. Um, I just, I, it's like standing on the edge of the ledge about to bungee jump or something. I just tell myself like, I don't want to do this, but ah, fingers on the keys. Shut off the phone. Here we go. And I make myself do it. And then... One of my favorite metaphors is if Stephen Pressfield can personify the resistance, I like to personify inspiration. Mm. So inspiration is gorgeous. She is loving and wonderful and uh, all accepting and kind and encouraging, but she will never make the first move. You have to make the first move every time. And after you begin, even though you don't want to, then she will come towards you and and go the rest of the journey with you. That's amazing. So, what I'm hearing, yeah, what I'm hearing in that is like, you know, what I was talking about was this kind of anxiety that can really close us down and be draining. But that's kind of the anxiety of standing there at the ledge. But on the other side, if you're actually able to jump, it's releasing and it's energizing. Um, And so the draining part is just standing there, not not taking that leap. Yeah. The the strongest I ever felt this was years ago when I was running a web hosting company called Host Baby. And Mm -hmm. all of my musician clients had been asking me to make this thing that was like a website builder where they, they didn't know HTML. They were all hiring individual web designers that would flake away and screw them over or something. And I knew that if I were to just build this thing where I could ask them their band name, their album name, their song titles, such and such and such, upload, put in your calendar dates, go. And it would generate an HTML page. It was really hard to make it. I didn't know how to make it, but I knew it had to be done. And I knew that I was the one to do it. And I knew that if Mm. I did it, there would be giant rewards, not just for making a lot of people happy, but I knew a lot of people would be very happy to pay a lot of money for this thing. Mm -hmm. And I just remember sitting in my living room, like almost every day, like every morning, just noticing that I was doing everything but that. I was like, I have to do this. And I would just, I would curse, I would kick, I would scream, I would like literally, you know, (laughs) <laughs> you know, all the swear words I know. And then I would just say, bah, damn it. I just, bah. and I'd put my fingers on the keys. And once I began, every time inspiration would finally you know, come meet me. Um, but yeah, I just, I That's feel all the same feelings, but I just override them and make myself do the thing that I know 
leads me to where I want to go, that will being who I ultimately want to be. It sounds like, you know, that, that was probably like 20 years ago. And so, or 20, 25 years ago. Um, yeah. And so it sounds like 20, 25 years of doing that kind of thing over and over has probably built up a lot of trust in yourself to like, I know if I finally just take the leap, it's going to be everything that I've wanted. You know, like I know how that always turns out. Actually, no, it's, it's no? still it's not how no it works. better than it was 20 <laughs> years ago. It doesn't get okay. any better. You know, the, um, okay. There was this uh, Nobel Prize winning uh, psychology, uh, economic behavioralist, behavioral economics, um, Daniel Kahneman, uh, who's been studying cognitive biases and things like this for 50 years now. And somebody asked him recently in an interview, like, so since you've identified all these biases, are you able to override them? He says, nope, it never gets any better. (laughs) I'm still human. (laughs) Yeah, I am still a victim of all of these things, no matter how much I identify them. So yeah, that's fascinating. no matter how much you and I can talk about this, I still struggle with it as much as everybody else. That's that's actually um, uh, very good to hear because I think people can put people on a pedestal like, oh, this person's got it solved and figured out (laughs) and they don't have to worry about this. And it's easy for them now. And I can relate, like I still face my my resistance it's still yeah. there the same you know fears that were there for me when i first started all of this um that still comes up they're just yeah. fears um and the difference now is that uh, i'm better at spotting them and i um i don't make them quite as significant as i used to still a little bit significant but um yeah it's i still struggle with it um but i still i'm i think i'm able to work with it a little bit a little yeah. bit more facility. The definition of courage is uh, when you is not not feeling the fear, but the courage is to feel the fear and you do it anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, one more question before we get to the donkey and the magnifying glass um, is: uh, so you talked about avoid the stuff that drains your energy, go towards the stuff that gives you energy, uh, which I love. That it's very clarifying. It's a great compass, but I'm wondering if those are fixed. Do you know what I mean? That where things that drain your energy, like you always have to avoid those and you can't shift that. What if you wanted to like, you know, what if that was something that you wanted to be energized by um, or that would create something for you in your life if you move towards that? Mm. I'm wondering, yeah, what you've noticed about that. Okay, two thoughts. Um, Where I thought you were going with that is that it changes over time. There are times in my life when what excites me is solitude. I need to get out of here. I need to get away. I just want to be alone. That is more deeply exciting. And then there are times in my life when I've been alone in paradise for too long. And what's exciting is to be in the middle of everything and to take on a bunch (laughs) of new responsibilities, you know? So it can change with time. And that's the problem, I think, with people labeling themselves as introvert or extrovert. I think that those can swing like a pendulum. But you're talking about Helping deciding, to like yeah, if deciding you did, if you, you wanted want to, to change it. Yeah. Yeah. So for that, I journal in a way that I only recently, after many, many years, found out that this is called cognitive behavioral therapy or what I do in my journal <laughs> and it have has been a doing name. for decades. Yeah, it has a name. So uh, the kind of journaling I do is usually when um, I'm feeling a little conflicted about something, I'm feeling incongruent. And Mm -hmm. I 
start asking myself questions. I start challenging my beliefs or I start opening up other options. I, I brainstorm past the first two or three that come to mind. Mm. Like, uh, what? okay, I, I'm stuck in this situation. What's a solution to this? And I go, blah, blah, blah. Here's a solution. I go, ooh, that's good. I'm tempted to stop right now. I'm going to make myself do another. What's another solution? Blah, blah, blah. Ooh, okay. Well, yeah, I don't like that one as much. What's another one? I make myself keep going and do at least five, ideally even 10 different solutions. And not just to tick a box, but each one I take it seriously. And I, th I think of something that would be a radically different way to approach this. I love this. This and, is incredible. And, <laughs> thanks. And, uh, and for the kind of example you're talking about where, say, um, I'll just pick one. Say I'm currently not prioritizing fitness, but I want to prioritize fitness. That it currently drains me, but I want it to energize me. In that case, this kind of journaling is ideal, that you just, you start stacking up reasons. You ask yourself, what would be all the benefits of if this was my top priority? Mm. What, uh, how much better would I feel? Or then you reverse it. What, how bad would I feel if I don't prioritize this? If I mm. keep going at the path I'm going on this trajectory, where will I be in 20 years? And assuming that those things get even worse over time, you know, it's not a straight tra trajectory, it kind of, um, <laughs> then, uh, then how much worse is this going to get if I don't prioritize this now? Um, and you just start stacking up vivid images in your head of the, the price you will pay if you don't make this change and the huge benefit you'll get if you do make this change in your values. And even then, sometimes it doesn't fully convince you, but you just start to do the actions. You start to embody it instead of just uh, lawyering it, you know, arguing <laughs> it. Um, you start to do the thing, again, whether you want to or not. Uh, oh, here's a perfect example. Right outside my recording booth where we're talking is my squat rack with my okay. deadlift weights. And right. I do it many times a week, but still after years, I do... I, Kind of like the inspiration example, I never, never, never want to do it. Yeah. I only do it because I, I have you. to do it. And then, <laughs> and at my, I'm 53 now, and those first two squats always hurt. And I'm like, <laughs> and I know it's going to hurt, and I curse it, but I do it. And almost every time, by the time I get to set three, set four, I'm really glad I'm doing it. And I feel badass. I feel better. But every time, you know, here he is two days later, time to do it again. And I'm cursing it. I don't want to do it. But I, I've just done my values in such a way that I know I need to do this thing. So that's that. Yeah, I love that. And um, I, can, I can so relate to that, that squat example. Uh, so thank you. I have a squat rack right below me. So <laughs> it on. is... Uh, yeah, calling to me to go do a workout after this. And it's like, oh, do I really feel like it? Do I want nope. to? <laughs> you never feel like it. <laughs> but I always feel so much better. Yeah, at least halfway into it. Okay, let's get to the donkey. It's been waiting for us. The donkey is going back to your original question of we've got too many things, or you said that I tend to focus on one thing at a time. 
single task and be really yeah. focused and devoted. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a story of Buridan's donkey, B-U-R-I-D-A-N, I think it was an author long ago that made up a fictional donkey to explain a point. I think he was a French philosopher um, okay. that said Buridan's donkey is uh, halfway in between a pile of hay and a bucket of water. And he can't decide. He keeps, he's both thirsty and hungry. And he keeps looking at the water, but then looking at the food, and he can't decide. And he ultimately dies of hunger and starvation. I mean, hunger and thirst. Because he just can't decide. And the thing is, we're not a donkey. You can have the foresight to know, I know, I can go to the water first, have a drink, then walk over to the food and eat. And then go back to the water and have some more water if I want. And even go back to the food again if I want. <laughs> we can use the future because thinking of the future is almost our unique human capability. We're tool makers, but we're also future makers. We are the only creatures. I think maybe uh, there might be one other uh, mammal on Earth that does this a little bit. But nobody as much as us. Making future. We predict. We imagine. and so. If you're feeling torn between multiple things you want to do, just think of the donkey and don't be a donkey. Just know <laughs> that you can go do one right now. <laughs> and all those other like, mm, yeah, but I also kind of want to do this. Great. Okay, do those later. You have to start one right now. Otherwise, you're going to die <laughs> of indecision. <laughs> don't be a donkey. Uh, go just do one right now. So. I do that all the time. What really helped is, uh, sorry, I, I have this yearning all the time to do other things. But what really helped is I just started creating a little folder on my hard drive of my computer in my journal where all these other things I want to do, I will indulge them for a few minutes or a few hours. I'll type out all the things I want to do and all the ideas I have around it, and I'll just put it into a folder, and it's those are all in a folder called possible futures. And I'm, I know that those can happen someday, but later, because right mm. now I need to finish the thing I'm doing because I've also felt the pain of trying to do too many things at once and never finishing any of them because I was doing too many, uh, too dissipated, you know? Um, yeah. So, I make myself do one at a time, no matter how badly I am yearning to do the other things. I make myself finish the one I'm doing now so that I can get the pleasure of something done, something launched, something released, and be done with it, and then feel more wholehearted about then turning to the thing in my possible futures folder that I'm excited to do next. Okay, let me ask, I love this. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I love the donkey story. I've I've heard it a long time ago, and now you've brought it to some a place where I can actually use it. So thank you for bringing that in. Um, so I have someone who I was been working with, and he wants to choose a project to work on, and he has at least five, maybe ten things that he's really excited about doing in his life. You know, from <laughs> music to art to comedy to writing and podcasting, and so, um, so but he's just stuck. He's like that that donkey that you talked about just stuck. And like, I, you know, if I choose this, then I feel like I'm shutting off all those other possibilities. So that 
directly speaks to what you were you were just saying. And how would you suggest this guy works with that, uh, given given some of the stuff you were just saying? It's just a mature realization that you can do anything, but you can't do everything. You just can't. Not right now, at least. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> and uh, you have to do one thing and use the future to do those other things. Uh, mm. But also think in terms of a life well-lived. Like, get out of yourself for a second and think about your heroes. Mm. Uh, the people you look up to the most are probably great at one thing, and that's why you love them. That's why you love this person's music or that person's books, because they write amazing books. <laughs> They're not also uh, an expert mountain climber and also an excellent film composer <laughs> and also <laughs> an, an excellent uh, botanist. Well, I'm not sure you're the, you're the best example of that. Well, no, I mean, I... I have only really done a few things in few my things life. Really well. Uh, to me, the common you're, thread is you're ahead. a musician, an entrepreneur, a, a writer. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I, I was I, I was a good musician, not great, but I was good. I was not a good entrepreneur. I stumbled into the the right place at the right time. I just started a. a music distribution company at a time at the, the beginning of the dot-com boom when nobody else had done it yet. I was the only one. So that was just luck. And, and the further I got along that path, the more I realized I'm not good at this. <laughs> mm. um, which sometimes I wonder, like, uh, you know, the, the singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, he is not a good singer. <laughs> <laughs> Does, how long do you go along this path before you realize, like, man, I am not good at this. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Maybe I should turn you can to be something successful else. without without being good, right? Maybe that happened with some. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can be successful without being good. But I, I think about a uh, uh, Danny Elfman, who's now a great film composer. Started out as kind of middle of the road pop star. I think he was in the, the the Buggles or something like Oingo Boingo or something like that. And um, you know, not great at that. But then started doing film composing. So anyway, I think that uh, for me. I dabbled in a bunch of things, but uh, I realized that all along it was my writing that was central to things. I think the reason people liked CD Baby, my old company, is because of the the way I would talk about it and the the spirit I gave it through my writing. Um, anyway, sorry, this you, isn't, go, sorry, go ahead. Well, you, every time you say something, five more questions pop up for me, so I'm just going to ask it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, how did you recognize that you you were writing and you rec recognized that writing was the thing uh, was there a moment for you or yeah did, yeah there was a very clear moment because i defined myself as an entrepreneur and a programmer that sometimes shares what i've learned in writing mm. and that's how i just publicly defined myself without overthinking it and then one day I had to ask myself, like, wait a second, I'm calling myself an entrepreneur, but I haven't started a new company since 1998. I have no right to call it. An entrepreneur means this person who starts a thing, who launches it. Uh, I haven't done that in so long. I really have no right to call myself this. And programming, yes, I love it. But 
But who are my heroes? And really, my heroes are my favorite authors. These are the people that I have up on pedestals that I want to be more like, are these thinkers. I thought, well, I think that kind of tells me what direction I'm facing. You know, if, if you're looking up at someone, that tells you which direction you're facing. <laughs> uh, so that's where I'm facing. That's where I want to go. Um, so that's when I realized, yeah, I think I'm not an entrepreneur and programming is my hobby, but ultimately I'm a writer. That's my top priority. So getting back to your friend um, that has 10 different things he wants to do, if you step, out of, step outside of yourself and think of your heroes, they're probably people that are just really great at one thing and nobody cares what they're not good at. So I think it's okay to keep those other interests as just interests um, without th thinking that you need to go all the way down that path. Like right now I've got a... A minor. <laughs> Remember, like at a university, you know, you say you've got your major and some people have a minor mm -hmm. in something. So these days I'm thinking like, I've kind of got like a minor in anthropology. I am so fascinated with other cultures and other mindsets and other worldviews. And I want to understand them so badly. I'll stay up all night long and I'll just devour anything teaching me about another way of seeing the world. But I'm not going to make it my career. I'm, I'm okay to just leave that as an interest. Um, Something you're I, fascinated by. Yeah, and yeah. that's enough. I don't have to add that to my list of careers to do, you know? It's just an interest. Okay, I've pulled us off of the topic going down some side roads. Um, uh, should we go back to the magnifying glass? Yeah, you remembered. Cool. Um, okay, the magnifying glass is yet another nice visual metaphor if you ever as a kid played with um holding up a magnifying glass with the sunlight and focusing it on one single spot and making that spot catch on fire you could do it to a piece of paper you could do it to a stick and the big idea is that sunlight on a stick won't catch that stick on fire but if you focus the power of the sunlight into a single tiny focused point then it'll catch on fire. And I think of that with our pursuits, that if we spread our sunlight widely, then nothing catches on fire. But if we focus our sunlight on one single thing, then it catches on fire. It's a beautiful image. Anna, could I ask uh, about tactics around that? Mm -hmm. um, so on a tactical level, let's say you're you know, you want to focus on writing a book right now. Um, what are some of the things that you do to get that, you know, magnifying glass, you know, into action? Um, mm. Okay, I actually just had to do this yesterday for my new book. I got off track for a few weeks, almost a few months, doing some other things uh, that came up. And because uh, of travel, I had booked a trip and then... That's kind of my minor in anthropology. I got so fascinated with my trip. I went to Dubai <laughs> for my first time, not uh, expecting anything. In fact, it used to be on my top 10 list of places I'd never want to go. It sounded <laughs> like the most shallow, crass, materialistic shopping mall of a place. Uh, bleh, I'd be happy if I never went there in my whole life. But then my, uh, I was coming back from a conference and my plane went through Dubai. So I, instead of a two-hour stop, I made it a two-day stop. And oh my God, I was blown away. 
I'm fascinated. I love it. Um, it's a fascinating culture. So now I'm learning all about, uh, now I'm digging into an audiobook about the uh, Ottoman Empire and learning about uh, Bedouin culture and picked up wow. a book on Arabic. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm fascinated with this culture. Um, and I got a little distracted. Uh, sure. So I, I wanted to turn my attention to my book. So I had to get myself back into a mindset. So if specific tactics are to surround yourself with inspiring wisdom on that subject. So now let's, let's generalize it a little bit. So in my specific case, I went and pulled up some of my favorite books about writing and I re-scanned my notes on those books. And I got super inspired again on the subject of writing. But I've had to do this with programming before. I still enjoy programming. And uh, when I need to do some programming, I pull up some of my favorite books on programming. And I read some of my favorite bits of wisdom and ideas that I've collected on programming. And I get myself re-inspired about programming. Um, same thing with health, fitness, lifting. Um, I've read some great books on weightlifting and fitness and health. And if I'm ever feeling like, oh, damn, you know, this is call this has fallen too low in my priorities. I need to bump this up again. All I have to do is take in some of my favorite bits of wisdom around the subject. And I get reinvigorated and refocused on this and driven to do it again. So Amazing. that's my main tactic for anybody that okay. needs to do something. After we're re done recording this, I'm going to send you an email asking for some of your favorite books on those topics. Just oh, because sure. I know people are going to kick me if I don't ask, ask actually, you. So, so Leo, yeah. actually, they're, they're all in one place. You might know okay. already, but everybody yep. go to sive.rs slash book. Books. Book. B -O -O. Okay. No, no, singular. B-O-O-K. -O -O singular. Okay, got yeah. it. Uh, and that will bring you to a I'll list. I'll link to that. Uh, thanks. So that's, uh, I started taking notes in 2007 because I had read a couple hundred books before that. And I realized I was forgetting all of these books I had read. And I knew I had read that book eight years earlier, but damn, I don't remember anything from it. And I don't want to read the whole thing all over again. So starting in 2007, from that moment, I, uh, underline my favorite ideas or circle my favorite thoughts when I'm reading a book. And then after I'm done reading the book, I type my favorite ideas from that book into a text file. So now I can get rid of the book and just save the text file that has my favorite ideas from that book. And I review that often. So um, it's, a, it's a great collection. I, I've gone thanks. through it myself several times. So yeah, after, after keeping those to myself for a couple of years, I decided to put them on my website. So now you can see every book I've read since 2007. I think there's almost 400 books there. Um, and most importantly, I sort them in order of my top recommendations. So that when somebody says, what's your top recommended book about programming or about travel or about fitness? Well, they're all there and you can just start at the top I of the list. I forgot that you did on. that. Okay, perfect. Okay, we don't, need, we don't need links from you then. You got it all there. <laughs> That's the one and only. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, you mentioned your, the book you're currently working on, which is something like Useful But True. Useful, not true. Not yeah. true. Shoot. Yeah. Okay. I, it was an important uh, distinction there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I, I've read through the blog posts that you, you have there that are going to be a part of this book. Um, 
And I don't think I'm going to do a good enough job of summarizing it, but I do want to dive into how it might apply to the topics that we're talking about here. Sure. Uh, would you be up for summarizing what the book's about? Yeah. Hey, t- okay. uh, time me. I'm going to see how quickly I can summarize the book. Ready? Okay, great. All right, yes. go. So yeah. first I have to say that Useful Not True, this book is personal. It's about you. It's not about other people. So while we're talking about this, forget what other people do. Just think about your own mindset, your own actions that you could take. So first, it's about pointing out how most of the statements that you hear people say are spoken as truth, but they're just perspective. It's just somebody's opinion. Um, And it really helps to strip away all of this subjective opinion and scrape it down to only the, the bare, physical, indisputable, objective, observable uh, facts. And those are the only things I consider to be true. Everything else, I think, is negotiable, subjective, um, able to be seen from another point of view. This is most useful for the ones that uh, where everybody agrees. This is hardest to do for the things that everybody agrees that it's good to call your mother. Everybody agrees <laughs> that such and such is is this way, and it's hard to strip those down and realize that those aren't necessarily true either. Um, and so, once you strip it down to the bare facts, well, then the next step is for yourself. You can think, kind of like we were talking earlier, what would be good for me to believe? What beliefs are useful for me to hold right now that will help me be who I want to be? And instead of relying on saying that these beliefs are true, you say that these beliefs are useful to me. Because if you start declaring them to be true, well, then you're going to fight about whether they're true or not. And if somebody disproves it as true, then you've been... Uh, you know, knocked off, you have that ru- carpet pulled out from under you. Ru- I guess you don't pull carpets, you pull rugs. <laughs> yeah, the rug pulled out from under you. Um, so uh, let's stop even trying to argue that anything is true. And let's just think of whether this is useful for me. Then after you do that, you can start to realize that all of the rules and norms of society are actually just a game that mm. is not so different from the game that we made up as kids when you would make up rules like okay now i'm standing on the couch and if you touch the floor it's hot lava but not if i have my fingers crossed and then it, <laughs> but if i hit you twice then you're it you know we make up games as kids and we understand that it's all just fun but what's funny is that when grown-ups get older they suddenly make these games that they treat super seriously uh and we think of them as uh laws as if they're laws of physics but they're just rules that somebody made up that somebody agreed and somebody lobbied for and somebody made it um but if you find out that the game is stacked against you if the rules of this game are uh against you you have the right and it's wise to quit that game to not play that game to either take another role or make a new game or just change the rules so um the common thread through all of these thoughts is that we should not uh, think of anything as necessarily true or not true, but just whether it's useful to us. So, useful, not true. Got it. Three and a half minutes. Ooh, okay. I got 332. 
Thank you. <laughs> that was that was beautiful, though. A couple of things that struck me about that as you were talking about it, and one of them is it's it's liberating. Like it's yes. it's almost like you know the Matrix, like knowing that you're yes. in the Matrix. You know, like that kind of thing, where it's like, oh, this is all a game. This is all right. made up, the, and we can the, choose to play that game or not. Yes, the scene yeah. in the Matrix is at the very end when he's realized it's all just code and kind of embodied this now and they're shooting him with bullets and he's just like, wait, no. And he just grabs <laughs> a bullet and looks at it. It's like, no, I, I think not. Um, <laughs> that when you realize that all of these statements that people say so emphatically try to convince you that they're true, you realize like, no, that's, that's not true. It's useful for you to believe that and I can see why you believe that. Or not. Um, it might not be useful. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's, in fact... Yeah, sorry, I left that out of the beginning, but I think that most things that we consider, oh, sorry, most of the disempowering beliefs that we hold, most of the harmful thoughts we think are not true. And it really helps to see that clearly, that none of these are true. Yeah. And again, even though I'm writing this book and I've been immersed in this thinking for a long time, I still catch myself thinking thoughts like, I can't do what I want to from here. Or I can't do that because I have a kid. And I'll say this as a truth. as like, well, yeah, of course, I can't do that because I have a kid. Or I can't do this thing from here. I'm just picking it's, two dumb examples. Fact. Yeah. Right. It feels like fact. And then I have to catch myself like, oh, wait a second. Hold on. Useful, not true. Uh, that's not actually true, is it? So then I stop and I... If you can think of even one counterexample, if it's... If it's arguable, if anybody can take the flip side of that argument, well, now it's no longer true. It's, uh, it's not necessarily false, but it's not like absolutely, <laughs> indisputably, necessarily true. And once you prove something is not necessarily true, well, then, yeah, now it's up for uh, creative interpretation and you can think of a more useful perspective. Yeah, it... it it's like you're removing these imaginary walls and you get to like you know, choose them or not. Like I get to create whatever I want to create. Yeah. Um, yeah. It puts good, a lot good. more power. I like that. Imaginary walls. Yeah. Calling something true puts an imaginary wall there. That seems really solid, right? Like, wow, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely solid. I need to avoid it, not walk straight into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're, what you're putting people at is some awareness like that's not a solid wall you can choose to believe it or not yeah but also put putting them at, at power putting them at choice um that's a really empowering thing really beautiful thanks you actually already answered one of my like the questions that came up for me which is yeah, what as you write the book what are some of the things that are coming up for you um mm. you know some of the things you're noticing as not necessarily true but maybe not mm. useful you know and so you you uh, have started on that. Is there anything else that you've noticed? Oh God, so many. Um, <laughs> this book is taking me much longer to write than I thought because it's a personal exploration of a subject that I've felt um, instinctively for years, but I hadn't really stopped to dissect it. So it's been in between the lines of all of my other writing for years. I think even a lot of what people liked about the way that I spoke about business 
in my first book called Anything You Want. I talked about entrepreneurship and a lot of people liked it, which I was really surprised. Uh, but it's because I was looking at common things in a new way. It's like, well, the common narrative is, let's say, you got to make the, be- the most profit you can. And I'd say, well, there are other ways to look at it. <laughs> um, you could think about it in terms of making just enough and, and trying to make more people happy as long as you've, uh, you're making enough. Or, or thinking of this as your own little place where you get to uh, control all the laws of this small universe, which is your business. Uh, and people went, whoa, wow, that's really interesting. And I went, oh, I guess this is just, this is how... I highly I started, recommend that book, by the way. Just want to oh, interject that, and I will link to that as well. Um, I just started thinking about these things that way long ago, and then I realized in between the lines, I'm always you know, taking what people say is true, doubting it, and then brainstorming other ways I could look at this and thinking about which of those ways is most useful for me yeah. to, to help me be who I want to be. So as you write this book, what, what, are you, what have you noticed coming up? Any beliefs that are not so useful, not true? Oh, um, it's just tiny little day-to-day things, uh, but I see them in my friends. Uh, it's interesting learning about placebos and nocebos, mm. uh, the, um, the things that harm us that aren't true. It's also fun to see other ways to play the game. Cute tiny story I've never told. Um, my kid was eight years old, when his school did their annual football match. And school takes it very seriously. Sorry, uh, soccer. Um, We were in England at the time. They called it football. So their annual soccer match. And his school took it very seriously. And my kid has no interest in sports. (laughs) And so I dropped him off at the big school uh, sports day and um, picked him up at three o'clock. And I said, how did it go? And he had a big smile on his face. He goes, it was great. He said, I had so much fun. I said, tell me about it. He said, well, everybody's really mad at me. (laughs) I said, why? (laughs) And he said this with a smile. He didn't care. He said, well, so they told me that my job was to be goalie. So I guess uh... I'm supposed to protect the net. And, uh, but my best friend Cyrus was on the other team. And so I really wanted him to win because he's my best friend. (laughs) So every time they kicked the ball at the goal, I just pretended to jump for it, but I made sure to miss it every time. And he said, a bunch of people yelled at me, but I don't care. He said, uh, Cyrus was really happy and, uh, and his team won, which made me happy. And that's so sweet. (laughs) He was so congruent about his happiness with this. Didn't mind one bit that all the people were yelling at him. And I thought, again, this is a beautiful example of different ways to play the game. You know, you could start a business to see how much money you could lose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like how much, how much in the hole can I go? Maybe I can convince a bunch of investors to invest in this thing and then lose all of their money because I've just given it to people. <laughs> um, there are so many different ways to play the game. Uh, anyway. See how many people you can piss off. I think that would be fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, or just, you know, how many people can you help? I mean, wasn't that kind of like a Schindler's List at the very end? He's like trying to write so many, like trying to save as many people's lives. And finally they take him away as he's like signing his name one more time, trying to write passes to just, and it's just like he's given away everything he has. Um, whereas all the people around him were thinking like, how can I profit from this war? 
uh, his thing was like, no, how can I lose everything and just give it all away? And, you know, they're just, and it made him happy. And we celebrate him, you know, whatever, 180 years later. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a nice reminder that there are other ways to play the game, that even somebody saying, here's the rules of the game or here's how you play, that's not true either. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I am aware that we're running out of time, which kind of makes me sad because I think I could talk to you about, for about 10 more hours, maybe all night. <laughs> but uh, you've uh, what you shared here is, is liberating. And um, I, I think what it encourages is inquiry, like really deep inquiry, which is something that you embody. Now, you don't just lawyer. Um, you embody inquiry, just you know, asking yourself questions and then coming up with 10 possible answers to that. And I think that's what your book also inspires. It's just like people to take a look at the things that they believe to be true and then to choose. What do I want to believe? Is this useful? Is this not? Is there a new way to play the game? Do I want to play that game? Or is there another game I want to play? And or, I, I think that's really incredible. My favorite one is... I often use the phrase, in a perfect world, dot, 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 <laughs> you know, in a perfect <laughs> world, how would I play this game? In a perfect world, what would the scenario be? And just making your dream come true scenario, which then when you're done, you can usually look at it and go, well, I could do that. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, there's usually not actually something stopping you. You just had to, you have to open up your mind and think about what your ideal scenario would be. And then it's possible to just go make that happen. That word possible is, I think, the thing that really comes out for me is like you're you're inviting people to look at what might be possible and i think that's actually something that a lot of your work does it's like oh what could be possible you know it's just like being in that inquiry of like what yeah what would i like if, in the perfect world what would be what I, what would i love um and we don't ask ourselves those questions enough i think well at least most of us do i think you do <laughs> but um so I'm excited for that book. I'm going to link to that as well. You know, I know it's it's an ongoing work right now, and people can sign up to get updates. Um, but I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing some really meaningful work and some thoughts around resistance and donkeys and magnifying glasses. <laughs> yeah, I, I also I have I don't have a podcast of my own yet, but uh, someday I I want to ask you ten hours of things too. So we'll just, we'll <laughs> we should actually somewhere. book ten hours. That yeah, could be fun. Yeah. Well, special uh, subscriber only, the 10 hour podcast. Yeah, we'll um, do some squats and go into that recording <laughs> booth of yours. Uh, I think it'll be amazing. Maybe and, uh, in Dubai. Hey, anybody uh, listening to this, please send me an email and introduce yourself. It's, it's the main reason I do interviews like this. Uh, I'm clearly not here to promote something, but uh, I really, really, really like the people that I meet that introduce themselves. So if you're a fan of, Leo's podcast. If you're a Zen habits kind of person, you're my kind of person and I would like to know you. Also, while I have you here, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about an upcoming retreat that I will be leading in London, in the UK, in April. And I'm really excited about it because I'm going to be diving deep into the practice of slowing down, not just slowing down in general in our lives, but slowing down with our resistance that's coming up and getting in the way of what we really want to create in the world. So if you're interested in working with me in person and a bunch of other people who are going to be diving into this with you, come and check it out at zenhabits.net slash retreat. 
and you'll learn more about it. You can claim your spot. You can come and join me. It's going to be amazing. We'll have practices. We will have community and we will do fun things together and you can ask me anything you want and hugs are free included in the price of the retreat it's going to be amazing please join me so email me go to my website just click send an email i i reply to every single one that's the perfect way to close thank you derek if you haven't already please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you found this episode useful, please share this podcast with someone you know who cares deeply. That would be really meaningful to me. And if you'd like to dive deeper with me into this work, please check out the blog at zenhabits.net or get in touch at leo at zenhabits.net. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join me every Wednesday for more episodes of the Zen Habits Podcast.